This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. We also host the annual Wake Up Festival, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August of each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. You can also join our free direct access membership program and read transcripts of all of the Insights at the Edge podcasts and search our collection of podcasts with now more than 100 episodes available. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Sally Kempton. Sally is known both for her ability to lead students into deep states of meditation and for her gift of making yogic wisdom applicable to daily life. She has spent over 40 years practicing, studying, and teaching meditation and spiritual philosophy. A former Swami, which is a type of monk, she lived and studied for many years with Indian masters and received training in the Kashmir Shaivism tradition. With Sounds True, Sally Kempton has created a new book called Awakening Shakti, The Transformative Power of the Goddesses of Yoga, which is a book that provides a practical guide for activating the currents of the divine feminine in every aspect of life. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Sally and I spoke about how to seek guidance and blessings from a goddess. We talked about the role of imagination in invoking goddess energy, and also how every goddess has a light and shadow side. We also talked about the relationship between the invocation of goddess energy and the awakening of kundalini in the human experience. Here's my conversation with Sally Kempton. Sally, your new book introduces the reader to 11 goddesses of yoga. And here at the beginning of our conversation, I want to talk about what or who are these goddesses to you? I can imagine someone listening who thinks of goddesses as symbols or archetypes, or maybe a listener who says, no, they're actual real beings. They're actually real beings in non-physical space. So what are the goddesses to you? Um, thank you, Tammy. It's, and, and there's another question, why goddesses, but we'll get to that later. Uh, the, I first came across these, these goddesses, these deities in meditative space, um, so I first came across them as energies, you know, as as kind of feeling states that would appear in my meditation, not really visually so much as as uh, I would, you know, I would in meditation I would fall into certain states of consciousness through working with mantras or through uh, through work or or through chants that would bring this very palpable sense of a presence that was not me, that was not my. Um, my normal meditative space, but but actually had a had a kind of shimmering, ecstatic, and very individual uh, energetic feel to it. And I, over years, I began to let's say be able to identify different qualities of energy, almost different personalities of energy that would come up as I when I contemplated you know a, a different deity figure. So. Who the goddesses are to me primarily are these energy vortexes that um, that are that are energetically so real that you know I, that they actually they they kind of come into the space. Um, they have each one of them has a particular quality of uh, I would call it love and power that's that's different from others. And when when invoked, they they kind of show up. In the field, and they can be felt by by other people who are in the field. Um, so, 
their energies. And I do actually, uh, I don't know whether the word is believe, but I, I have a very deep sense that they are actually real presences in a supersensual universe, in a subtle, subtle universe. But they are also, and that's part of what I've, I've been, I've been writing about in the book. They're also, uh, you know, I mean, the word we usually use is archetypes. They're, they're aspects of consciousness that exist in, in human psychology and also exist, you know, so to speak, cosmically. So, uh, and, and once you start tuning into goddess energies, you, you actually start to feel the quality of one of these goddesses in the natural world. I mean, the, the classic examples are, uh, you know, are that, that particular energy vortex called Kali, whom we, you know, we, 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 whom people often experience like in, in a hurricane or in a you know, very forceful aspect of nature, but who we also can experience as, you know, as our, as our own revolutionary impulses, you know, our own, a particular kind of strength in ourselves. Um, so each one of these goddesses has a kind of signature that that seems to manifest you know in the natural world in our psychological world uh and as a really as a conduit for um for for blessing you know for uh for empowerment for for kind of um you know divine grace so I want to take this slowly for a moment. Here you are, you're meditating, and there's a quality of presence or energy that emerges. And you mentioned that it's not that you had a visual experience of this quality of energy. It's not like you saw a goddess. How did you know, oh, this is something that's not just something you could name with a word as a feeling that was moving through you. I mean, could you tell me the first time a goddess energy appeared for you in meditation and how you were able to identify it as a goddess? Sure, sure. And and a, a lot of it has a lot of my experience of of deities has come about through because I've, you know, I've been I've been a teach I was a teacher for years in a Hindu-based spiritual tradition in which we would sometimes uh, give courses and talks on deities, you know, like on their mythological aspects or on their, um, you know, on their on their iconography. And it would often happen when I was actually preparing to teach something on one of these goddesses. So I would have focused intensely. Um, I would have been reading about about Kali or Lakshmi or Durga. Um, I would be I would be contemplating the stories and the symbology, and there would, there would be a mo. Well, the first time it happened, um, one of the first times it happened, I describe in the book. But the one that was, that really blew me away was, um, was when when I was doing contemplations on Kali, and I had certain ideas about Kali, as most of us do. You know that she's a, she's a, she's a. Um, Kind of antinomian, wild, uh, revolutionary—you know—kind of left-handed tantric um, goddess who I, I thought of as kind of epitomizing the the wild feminine in her most extreme form. Um, and at one point, as I was sitting with with the thought of Kali, and I'd been contemplating her for uh, for a couple of weeks you know, going for walks and thinking about her. And um, I was overtaken one day in meditation with this feeling of I of the fiercest love uh that I've ever felt in my life. It was a complete it was it was as if a a feminine love force um just came into my body and filled me and it was with a feeling that you know, is so unlike my own personality. Uh, it actually felt like being possessed or taken over by a uh, by another force, and the experience was um, was radically, radically ecstatic. Um, 
it felt as though I was I was being loved from within by a by a, a, a you know a great power. Um, my, my body began to shake and I began to cry and um, you know and the boundaries between me and and the room started to dissolve and it it was it was it was um, literally a uh, in India they actually talk about something they call goddess possession that come you know that happens to people where the it's like the energy of the goddess the energy of deities comes into people and for a certain amount of time they they kind of embody that energy so that was what that was my first experience um there was no visual which is at that time i just never had visual meditations i'm much more of a kinesthetic person um so it it just it it started a chain of um, of deity meditations that has that this is in the in the late eighties i guess uh and i and ever since then um when I focus intensely on on a deity figure not only goddesses but also uh masculine deities if i you know i they 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 kind of show up in my field and and each one of them is very different. So it's um it it's 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 basically an energetic experience of an other. You know, do you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like me. Mm-hmm. But I think that that most of us especially, you know, people who meditate a lot, we have a series of you know, let's say experiences and of deep meditation that are part of of you know my personal field as a meditator I'm sure of yours that are recognizable as you know Sally in meditation or Tammy in meditation you know what I mean so uh and in my case they're 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 kind of non-dual um open thought free uh witness type states they're not they're not particularly um uh they're not necessarily uh, full of, you know, color and you know, horripilating dynamic dynamic energy. Um, so when these deity energies arrive, they're they're very distinct from my nor- so-called normal personal experience of of inner states. You know, we started our conversation with what are these goddess energies. And you said, and we have to talk about why. And so I want to make sure that we include what you were pointing to there with this question, why. You mean, why would somebody want to meditate on goddesses? Uh, is that what you meant? Or, that's what I meant. Um, yeah. But, but, yeah, but I, I would also say, uh, I, 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 you know, it's also interesting to, you know, to kind of look at, at what the goddesses in the tantric traditions represent in you know in the non-dual hindu world i mean what they're you know how they connect to the metaphysics of the tradition um but i i would say why meditate on goddesses um which is is a question that uh you know that that i have very much as i you know as i move around in the world of contemporary spirituality uh, you know that that most of the people I know um, who who meditate and you know follow the path that that hopefully um, allows us to experience the ever present suchness of our liberated self, most people don't bother with forms. You know they they tend to go they tend to do self inquiry practice or uh you know meditation on consciousness itself and you know truthfully that's kind of my own personal practice so i got involved i mean i think that my the reason why i have found deity energies goddess energies to be incredibly significant in my practice and and that i found them to be significant for people i've worked with and taught you know taught these practices is first of all because they they literally have a capacity to open up um, aspects of consciousness that that we aren't normally aware of, and they, so so 
goddesses are literally empowering. They, you know, and as as you know, that's part of the pra- practice of the classical tantric traditions is that is that you, you know, I, I know in Tibetan Buddhism, you know, people have a have a uh, have a yidam, or we would call it an ishta devata in in our tradition, and you, you know, you you kind of find a an aspect, a personified aspect of of um, the divine that that you can concentrate on. I mean, in a certain sense, that you know, that deities are a cognitive focusing device, if you if you will, that lets you tune into certain transpersonal qualities that are maybe more difficult to tune into if you're trying to consider them in the abstract. So, and that you know, and if you know, as you know, in classical tantric deity practice, you actually do very elaborate visualizations and um, with mantras and their and all the different things they have in their hands and their clothes, and you know, and you kind of make the deity form a, a, a presence in your consciousness, and and it's you know, in my experience, because I don't tend to do it so much through visualization as through calling, you know, I. I actually, I I'll ask the deity to be present, um, and ask in a, you know, as, with as much longing and desire as, as I can find in that moment, and it's, it feels to me as though these energies, these these deity energies are present, in our field, um, in the you know in the in the field of the universe, perhaps in the field of our own subtle body, and that by addressing them, by calling on them, by by repeating their mantras, we we bring forth powers in ourselves that uh, that we can experience as helpful as giving blessings, or actually as awakening capacities in us that that we may not have been aware of, and it's. Um, it's a it's a practice, I would say that you know, like all second person spiritual practice, uh, it it acknowledges that that the divine is both inside and outside. So so um, it allows you to actually befriend qualities of of the transpersonal that you may not have been willing to allow yourself to possess. You know, like, like it's very, it, it's certainly hard for me to just, you know, to just affirm that I'm the incarnation of divine beauty or that I have, you know, un- invincible strength because I, you know, in my, in my, my ordinary limited Sally Kempton form, I don't. So there's something about calling on the, you know, the the divine beauty of of a transpersonal form, or on the on the invincible strength of a you know of a transpersonal form, a deity figure, or for me as a writer, um, I spend a lot of time asking for divine help in you know in helping me figure out what I'm what I actually want to be saying and in an article or in a chapter and it it's you know it's been one of the ways that i that i i find to overcome my sense of personal limitation is by calling on something that's without limitation and you know and and then then kind of inhaling it and allowing it to take shape in me so that's one reason for why goddesses this is very helpful, Sally, and I, and I want to make sure to really ground it for our listeners. And to do that, I'm wondering if you could talk about a specific goddess that you have been calling on in the last year or two and really working with specifically and how you do that and what kind of change occurs in you through calling on that goddess. Um, okay, great questions. Um well the most the most interesting recent experiences i've had of uh of let's say working with a particular goddess was in was in this book 
because there were certain of the goddesses, you know, there are 11 goddesses in the book, and some of them, Kali, Lakshmi, Saraswati, are goddesses I've I've studied a lot and taught about a lot, and they're, you know, I've been interacting with them, so to speak, psychically for years. But there were some of them that were that I wanted to um, to include, but who were really quite unfamiliar to me. I, you know, I had never been initiated into their practices. They're 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 tantric wisdom goddesses, so they're they're quite mysterious esoteric goddesses, but um, but also very interesting and resonant. Um, and in the process, I would I would uh, I be, I began to kind of ask for help in unlocking the mysteries of the of some of these goddesses that I didn't feel like I understood. And as I asked, this this particular energy coalesced in my field, and it's it was the energy of a goddess named Matangi, who's um, who's uh, her myth is that she was she was a human being who was the daughter of an of an elephant handler in the jungles of India and uh, and she's she's a form of of the goddess Saraswati who's the the deity of wisdom and learning and you know music and who's a very beautiful quite ethereal form of feminine energy. She's the one that that you know classical Indian musicians invoke before their performances, and students invoke before the first day of school. Um, but as so, I I just was, let's say, I had an intuition um, to that there was there was an energy that was going to help me write the book, and uh, and her, her name was started with an M, and I I kind of went through various you know goddess energies with m names and this was the one that kind of uh sparkled when i when i said her name and so what i would do is um i got a picture of her which as far as i know looks nothing like her but um there you know there's a lot of pictures of her and i started doing her mantras every day and i would do the mantras and then i would ask her for help uh, I basically asked her to write for me, which is my essential. The way I work with deities, I, I kind of ask them uh, to to do what I have to do, um, and and it's it's uh, and so I I, I would I, you know I would be writing about one of the goddesses whom I didn't understand too well. And she, this this energy would begin to come through my, you know, my hands on the computer keys because I, that's kind of how I, I function as a writer. It's, it's not doesn't so much come happen in the mind. It sort of happens in the interaction of the hands on the keys. Um, and at, at a certain point, um, I, I would, I would actually begin to feel that this. Uh, there was a, there was something coming through me that came from a higher world that was literally translating subtle energy, subtle knowledge into a uh, an accessible form. So, so in other words, I would be writing about one of the goddesses who was very mysterious to me, whose name is Lalita Tripura Sundari, who's a very queenly tantric goddess, very sexy and um and you know she's the goddess who's who's the 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 inner, the the deity of the sri yantra the famous sort of diagram that leads you you know from the gross to the subtle to the super subtle uh and and i and i began to have images of how this energy operates in a in a you know human woman you know that what it is to be an exquisitely beautiful and you know and utterly powerful completely confident um erotic and spiritual and executive you know uh to have that quality of the feminine and i found that this energy was kind of enabling me to tune into lalita and get inside her and describe her in a way that uh that i 
I believe is correct, is accurate. You know that to I could I could begin to see women um, who women who embodied that quality for to, for you know in one way or another, um, and and uh, and to be able to you know to create exercises that that helped me um, feel her presence in in inside myself. So does that is that specific enough? Yeah, that, that's helpful. What it brings up yeah. for me is this question of asking a goddess yeah. energy for help, and you know yeah. the traditional idea that you could pray and uh, make offerings and ask a goddess for a boon if you will help me help me write my book. And I can yeah. imagine someone listening saying. You know, isn't this just sort of acquisitive spirituality? I'm going to get what I want. And I'm wondering what you think is the type of praying to a goddess that is really heart-based and will sort of bring out the best in that goddess. And what's more sort of grabby, can't you just get me what I want? Good question. Um, So there there are two aspects of this uh, I want to talk about. First, the essence of tantric practice is you know, is that the, that that it's a practice that is that in which both bhakti and mukti meaning worldly enjoyment and liberation are quote allowed so so the the sages of that tradition say you know you're you should ask the deity for everything because the more you the more you rely on the deity i mean this is very you know, very second-person devotional. It's in every tradition. The more you rely on the deity, the closer you bring the energy into yourself. And, you know, just as, you know, the great contemporary saint, um, not contemporary, modern saint, Sai Baba of Shirdi used to say famously, I give people what they want so that they'll want what I ultimately have to give them. You know, that principle is very much a part of tantric practice, and it's misused, um, you know, in in uh, in certain corners of that world, for sure. But the way I've always sorted it is that I I ask for for things that are for the greater good. You know, that are for for the benefit of of other beings. Um, I've never actually actually it's only recently I've that I've actually felt okay about asking for for you know, help with my health, which I, I've started doing. But, you know, when I was um, with, when I was with my guru, he would ask me to do certain things that were very hard for me, that I didn't really have the talent for, if you will. Um, and he and he would and he would say to me, ask. You know, he he would say to me, ask um, Nityananda, who was his guru, ask him to help you. So I. I formed the habit of asking for help from my lineage, you know, for things that were acts of service that I, you know, I felt were beyond my normal capacities. And uh, and what I discovered was that when you're in tune with grace, that your capacities are much greater than, you know, than they are when you're considering yourself an or- your ordinary bound self. And so basically... I would say the difference between acquisitive um, petitionary prayer and um, and petitionary prayer that's sort of in tune with with the will of the cosmos is that you're essentially praying for for things that are going to help you um, help you do things that will benefit others or that are for the, or are for others you know that prayer for others uh, prayer for you know, for um, you know, for things to go well for another person. Um, prayer f- for me, a lot of a lot of the way I pray is to really understand the truth in a situation, so that if I'm writing something or if I'm teaching, that what I'm teaching is coming from uh, from a place of truth rather than from my own opinions or my own. Um, my own views. So, and I, I actually find that that kind of petitionary prayer is a kind of, it sort of ensures that you're aligned with, with, with the higher powers, with the higher truth. 
and and for me um have, you know m- making it personal is very important um you know i i as krishna says in the bhagavad gita it's difficult to you know it's much more difficult to to stay in tune with with unmanifest pure consciousness than it is to stay in tune with uh with someone or something that is that is touchable or tangible and you know and for me um giving divine consciousness a name and a form uh, actually helps me become more attuned to it and i'm curious someone who's listening who might have the experience you know i just don't connect immediately to this goddess or that goddess but if i start using my imagination if i start kind of telling a story then that opens the gateway and i'm curious what you feel the role of imagination is in invoking a goddess energy um beautiful question well uh you know the the ancients of course understood imagination as really the connection point between the human mental world and the you know the world of higher forms the the archetypal world you know that that so that by by visual imagination or by invocation um or by or by that experience of telling yourself a story you know that i mean the 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 mythic stories have so much capacity for uh for creating a field in which uh you know these energies can appear i i mean my own sense of of what the imagination is other than being a higher faculty of mind is that it it is actually the great creative vortex out of which um worlds are made you know that 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 you know in the ancient stories the 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 cosmic intelligence the cosmic mind kind of imagines a world of forms and and it takes shape and you know all of this is the dream within the mind of the imagination of the cosmic being that's and i i think that that points to you know whether it's a whether it's true or not what that is whether it's literally true or not it does point to the incredible creative capacity of imagination right so um so if you're if you're going to use your imagination which I don't believe human beings are capable of not doing then if you use your imagination to create beauty and to create sacredness and to create uh you know compassionate visions then somehow it feels it seems that you are you know you're influencing the whole field in a in a profoundly useful way and um what I would say to people who don't connect to these energies is uh is to to actually spend some time with some of these stories and notice that there are some of the stories just as you know in you know there's some of the myths that for some reason resonate with you on a on an imaginative level and when you feel that resonance then you know then recognize that that it that there's there's a lineage that you know this that each each mythological structure is connected to a lineage of um of energies that if you relate to it it probably has something to teach you something to offer you uh so so i've always found that the stories are a beautiful way into that you know into a sense of the lineage energies and of course in in many traditions um you know your teacher will will sense the connection to a particular deity energy and uh and suggest or offer you know offer that you work with a mantra that's connected to to it or um uh or or do a visualization that's connected to it so there are a lot of you know there are different ways to to test or sense whether you're whether you connect to deity energies and of course it's not it's you know it's it's one path it's a path that i would say um it it's a path that that 
eventually requires some form of initiation, whether it's initiation by a teacher or initiation by the deity itself or the kind of initiation that kind of leaps out at you from the pages of a book because it happens that way. Um, But in a certain sense, uh, you know, our spiritual practice chooses us. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I do. So, so yeah. So, uh, so we can trust that we'll be drawn to to the practice that's useful for us at a particular time. It may not be the only practice that's ever useful for us, but I think that there. You know, I I run across people a lot, especially women, but men also, who just have a you know have a have an intuition that um, that they. There's something in these these feminine powers that has something to reveal to them or show to them, and you know, so they become curious, and uh, and you know, just by 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 I mean, by reading a book like this and doing some of the exercises in it, which are pretty empowered, I would say. Um, you know, you you start to feel the resonances. So everyone can go out and read this book and see which goddess you're attuned to. I, I'm actually kind of serious. It's it's one of the reasons I I wanted to write it was really to give people a, a, an act, you know, an accessible avenue into into the goddesses of the of the Hindu tantric tradition because they are such incredible vehicles for blessing. So I've tried to make them accessible both you know through the stories and through human examples of of what it feels like to you know kind of embody this energy and through a lot of exercises You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. If you're interested in listening to previous episodes of Insights at the Edge, they're all available for free in a searchable database as part of our new direct access membership program. For more information, please visit soundstrue.com forward slash direct access. And now back to Insights at the Edge. And Sally, you know, I want us to bring one of these goddesses into the space of this conversation. And to select which one, here's my question to you. My question is, here in the West, we have certain biases about feminine power. It's like this, it's like this, it's like this. But we may not associate feminine power with that quality or some other quality that's not really part of our current vocabulary about feminine power. And I thought it would be interesting to, first of all, ask you to name what that might be. What aspect of feminine power is under-recognized in the West today that we could find in one of these goddesses? And then to ask that goddess to come and be present with us in some form, to invoke her. Um, well, I think the the obvious example is Kali, um, you know, who, although she's um, she's fairly popular among uh, people, you know, cultural leftists, so to speak, uh, she she represents qualities that we really don't allow the feminine. You know, Kali's Kali's got Kali's a revolutionary. She's She's fierce. She has fangs. She's she's destructive. Um, she's uh, she, you know she's she's naked. Her sexuality is unbound. She's uncontrollable. You know she's uh, she's all the things that nice girls aren't supposed to be, and that's also true in India. Um, you know, calling a woman in India, calling a woman a regular Kali is not a compliment. <laughs> you know, it usually means she's a bitch or a scold or uh, or somehow uncontrollable. So there is a kind of, um, there's a quality of 
uh, of untamability and unstoppability in Kali that uh, that that is you know that is not part of our vision of the feminine. You know, for example, one of the ways that Kali has you know has is is seen is in um, natural disasters. You know, she's in she's she's in the tsunami. She's in the she's in she's in battle, which is uh, not something that we we tend to associate with the feminine. So she's a she's a very scary goddess. Uh, and one of the things that that I've found over the years as I've worked with people with Kali energy is that uh, that for many women especially, um, acknowledging the the Kali-esque aspects in ourselves is is you know radically liberating. So uh, you know to to look into your own your own wildness, your own anger, your own um, your own desire for, uh, you know, f- let's say to dance uncontrollably or to run uh, without limits or, you know, to or to just, um, you know, to say the things to the people who've, you know, who who've hurt you that you never would say in civilized conversation. It's a it's a deeply um, transformative thing to begin to tune into her energy and the the you know for many of us that Kali-esque quality is very deeply buried in the unconscious and of course it's you know it's it's deeply shadowed quality that kind of Kali-esque rage um but what you discover or what what I discover I actually talk about it in the book about um a time in my life when I was very, very much repressing my um, my rebellious and uh, sort of antisocial qualities. Uh, I was living in an extremely, um, you know, let's call it rigid uh, yogic world. I was a swami, and um, and you know, I, all of my relationships were were meant to be. Um, you know, calm and compassionate and loving and sweet and uh and so all the parts of me that weren't like that were kind of um you know, repressed and in shadow and I at, and at one point I started to get sick and I and I I would have these dreams about, you know, strange forces trying to get out of my body and uh and I so I sat down one day and started to do one of those um you know um, writing with both hands dialogues where you write a question with your dominant hand and then you let your your non-dominant hand write an answer and uh, and as I was doing it I asked this energy I was you know kind of what is this energy that wants to get out and and the, the words that came out were I'm Kali I'm I'm your wildness I'm your rage I'm your beauty I'm your sexuality and she just you know she, she, and she began to uh just just right through my hand and and as she did this this feeling of enormous freedom and beauty and um uh and release began to pour through me and you know i would say that uh that when you begin to tune into the shadow kali energy in yourself um you know it 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 requires uh some discipline, um, not to throw it on other people, which is what sometimes happens. But but as you as you you know begin to get in touch with her, you you start to see that the feminine uh, is is much more mysterious than um, you know much much stronger, much wilder, um, much more able to contain apparently contradictory qualities, you know, and and. And then those, the quality of, let's say, ego-driven anger or, uh, or, you know, ego-driven sexuality, um, can begin can begin to be, really transmuted into their, you know, into their divine inner qualities, which are qualities of Kali. You know, they're they're not um, they're transpersonal qualities that are that are then available to you for deep work 
um, rather than leaking out, you know, in recrimination and, uh, you know, sort of abusive behavior and um, what Leonard Cohen called the homicidal bitching that goes on in every kitchen, you know, all of those all of those all of those qualities of uh of the of the repressed um feminine that you know that that show up in unskillful ways because we haven't really learned to own our divine uh our divine wrath our divine wildness now in the book you talk about how each of these 11 goddesses has a shadow side and a light side can you yeah. explain that in relationship, you know, using Kali as an example here? What's the, the shadow side and the light side? Well, the Kali, of course, is a great example of, of uh, you know, of, of a, an energy that's often expressed in shadowy ways. Um, well, for example, one of, one of my friends is a deeply compassionate and beautiful person. She's a psychotherapist. She's got an amazing gift for empathy. And uh, and every now and then she will have attacks of just terrifying rage. And they'll, you know, you'll be in the car with her and, you know, she, and you'll feel that something you've said has offended her. And the whole car will fill with this, uh, you know, this intense anger, which in my case, she doesn't, express because you know we don't know each other well enough but which in her family she she often does express and you know in in ways that that uh um that that make people really walk on eggshells around her and um the thing that i've seen from knowing her is that 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 side of her that you know that that crazy rage um which is her, the, sh- the shadow of it, that there's a light side of it that's, that's actually the same energy in which gives you the capacity to cut through bullshit, you know, to, to turn an entire room full of people who are, you know, are kind of um, not getting to the heart of something to, to actually take them to a very, very deep um, state of, spiritual and psychological realization and it's it's like that quality of being able to completely cut to the chase to cut through the bullshit you know to um to find the truth uh you know that sort of in buddhism that sort of manjushri sword quality um can be turned against people in very cruel ways or it can be used to uh to you know completely transform a situation and for you know towards beauty and truth so and I, I think with all, all the goddesses, you know, for example, Lakshmi, who's sort of everybody's favorite Hindu goddess. You know, she's she's the goddess of abundance and money and beauty and you know, um, jewels and fertility and all these beautiful things. You know, her shadow side is this, uh, is you know, avid consumerism, right? So greed and um, and um you know taking um doing anything for the sake of money it's like lakshmi lakshmi turned towards the towards the uses of the ego is uh you know and a big destructive force in contemporary society whereas lakshmi in her light form is uh is the sense of abundance in the sense the sense of unshakable abundance that you know that that makes us loving and makes us able to find beauty in everything and makes us feel satisfied with, you know, in deep ways of their life. So, Sal, you, you made a comment that really struck me, which was how part of your intention in writing this book on these 11 goddesses is to give people a readily accessible tool that they can use to connect with these energies and to just put it right there for them. Here's the mantra. Here's the visualization. Right. Here are the stories. Here's your sort of self-starter kit to connect with this goddess, everything you need. And one of the questions I have is when somebody gets this book and starts seeing, oh, I relate to this goddess. I don't relate to this goddess. Out of the 11, there's only one I relate to, or there's two that I do and one I can't stand. How do you suggest that the reader actually engage? I mean, you could spend 
your whole lifetime working just with one goddess energy, potentially, or you could experiment with all 11. Yeah, yeah. My suggestion in reading this book, and and it's true of you know my meditation book as well, is that you read it like a practice. So, you know, read what, read the chapter, and there are exercises in all the chapters, and there are mantras in all the chapters, and just practice them for a few minutes as you're reading. Um, it's you know to practice to practice a meditation on on Durga for five minutes is not the same thing as doing a lifetime sadhana. Uh, of Durga practice, but it will give you a sense of of what of of how it, how this goddess feels, you know, of how of of how of whether you connect to her. And what my suggestion is that you read the book that way, and when you meet one who feels especially familiar to you, and most people there there are, there's more than one, you know, because. Most of us have uh, several goddesses expressing themselves through our through our personhood. Um, if you know, just just spend a few days practicing with her. Uh, and and yes, you're absolutely right. You could you could, and I I hope that there are people who will. You could decide. You realize that you have a deep connection with one of these goddesses, and decide that you're actually going to investigate it. Um, Spend some time meditating with one of the one of the um, practices for invoking the goddess. Uh, work with her mantra, and and let that let her energy kind of flower in you. And in my experience, if you do this for you know for a if, for example, if you practice with a goddess for a week. Um, you'll start to get a sense of how her energy works in your life and you'll start to get a sense of 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 how to invoke her and when to invoke her so so i so that's that's how i suggest working with the book i also it is actually the practices in it are really good for um for for groups to do together they're great to do with a partner or you know three or four people um you know cuz because all of these energies are, they are showing up in our daily life. You know, once you start contemplating Durga, for example, who's a goddess of protection and strength, you know, you who's a very accessible form of feminine energy in our time. You know, we know a lot of, of women who are manifesting, you know, the Durga energy, the kind of, um, the kind of super mom energy, you know, the, the female executive protective executive energy uh you know you you could you start to see her in in you know in your life and in yourself and uh and to recognize that there are certain circumstances in which it would be really really you know really really useful to have a particular kind of feminine warrior strength at your you know in your field, and by meditating a little bit on Durga and starting to feel, because for me it's always a question of like you know it's always a a sense of actually feeling the ener- feeling an energetic shift as you bring one of these goddesses into your field. You actually you may not see her. Um, in fact, most people don't. But generally speaking, you'll feel something shift in your you know, in in your subtle body, in your energy field. And when you feel that shift, you know there's been a connection. And and at that point, um, you can begin experiment experimenting with, you know, asking her to give you strength or to give you understanding or, you know, to to let you feel love or harmony or beauty, you know, to help you work with a situation that's difficult because all the goddesses, each one of the goddesses is particularly helpful in specific situations. So your suggestion is for people to start where they're naturally drawn. And I'm wondering, you meet a goddess in the book and you think, eh, don't really care, has nothing to do with me, not connected. Just move on? Yeah, move on. Move on. When when I was... um, when I was writing the book, I have a friend who has a book group, and and um, 
some some of the people in the book group were read I think four of the chapters. Um, everybody who read the book, uh, for example, could relate to Durga. They're all professional women. Not only one of them could relate to Radha, who's you know the the beloved of Krishna, and she's a very erotic um, sort of. I could call her kind of a teenage goddess. Um, and you know, and they just decided, okay, we we won't we'll we'll skip through Radha. We won't go on about you know we won't go on with her. Um, so I think that that's I think that's that's great. And what I've found is that at some point, um, every one of these goddesses become you know has an insight to give you. But if you know about all of them, then then when that point comes in your life and you're you're thinking, is there some wis- is there some wisdom about the feminine that you know I can look to a particular energy for? And you think, well, what about her? You know, what about this goddess that scared the shit out of me when I mm-hmm. first read about her or that I just mm-hmm. thought was irrelevant to my life? So yes, go where you're drawn. I just have one final question for you, Sally, which is your new book is called Awakening Shakti the transformative power of the goddesses of yoga. And I want to talk a little bit about what this word Shakti means and what the relationship is between invoking the power of these goddesses and the whole phenomenon of kundalini awakening in the human person. Um. Okay, great question. It's kind of a big question so, to end on, but I, I don't want to I don't want to end this conversation without talking about it. So, so in the tantric traditions um, and in in the Indian tradition in general, Shakti, which means literally means power, um, is Shakti is the name for the creative dynamic aspect of the cosmic intelligence. So, you know, in in the Indian tradition, the 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 divine has a a yin and yang quality, but in but in but the yin is the masculine, um, and the yang is actually the feminine because the you know in the in the in the tradition that I I was trained in, uh, the you know the so-called masculine, and of course we're talking about a level which has nothing to do with gender, but the 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 you know the the so-called masculine is identified with awareness itself, so. And the power, the creative power, the the love aspect of consciousness is identified with the feminine. So if you, you know, if you think of reality at its deepest level as being, let's say, awareness, love, um, then then the the awareness is is the masculine and the love is the feminine. But the power uh, is in is in the love side. It's you know it's. It's the it's love, it's bliss, it's um, it's creative urgency. You know what um, it you know what some people call evol- the evolutionary urgency or the erotic urgency to 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 become something um, is shakti, and you know and in the you know in the tradition the, the that that ecstatic urgency that's inherent in consciousness. Um, just becomes all these forms. So the, the the tantric view is that everything that exists and doesn't exist is made out of uh, out of permutations of of this energy, this shakti, and that awareness, you know, is kind of present at, there as the witness and ground of all of it. So that that's what kundalini then is is the the microcosmic form of that that creative shakti, which exists inside the human body and in everything, as the life force. So you know the prana in yogic terms, and 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 does our life. You know if you if you you know as you know if you really get deeply into your your own body, you'll recognize that there is a force that's living your life that actually you know has nothing to do with your your personal decisions and is even making those decisions before you know you're making decisions and and that's shakti and that's and in that's kundalini and when that energy is uh you know it's 
it's said to in in this in our ordinary limited state of consciousness it's said you know in a beautiful metaphor that the energy of kundalini is asleep um what that actually means is that it's functioning to in an in what in, you know in what the tradition calls an outgoing way it's functioning through our senses it's making our mind come up with thoughts it's acting through our you know through our bodies but it it it's never looking into what we are uh on an interior level and the awakening of kundalini is uh is the awakening of our capacity to uh to interiorize consciousness um so you know from a tantric point of view every spiritual awakening is an awakening of kundalini um you know because because kundalini is our is simply our capacity for for self recognition but of course there's another you know there's a form of awakening of kundalini awakening that's very uh, much about energy moving in the body and creates um a whole series i mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of manifestation of uh of you know radical shifts in consciousness and physical movements and purifications and uh and you know visual experiences and that's that's the form of kundalini awakening that you know that traditionally um sends energy up into the you know the the central channel in the subtle body and awakens the chakras um and and shakti you know the goddesses are uh are deeply um present in in that energetic form of kundalini awakening as in all forms of spiritual practice and in in the tradition every uh every center in the body is associated with with a goddess or goddesses uh who who are the you know the kind of the psychopomps as it were to use jung's language the um the the guardian energies who who if we when we invoke them they you know they can open our inner centers and open our higher capacities so uh so the and and when kundalini is active in in the body um one of one of the the gifts it gives us is a kind of heightened interior sensitivity so that you know we we actually begin to be able to see with what the christian writers call the eye of the heart or the eye of the spirit in a in a much more um concrete way than than in ordinary consciousness um so this is a this is that's just like the tip of the iceberg of an enormously complex topic but but essentially shakti is kundalini and um and when that when that active aspect of kundalini is awakened it it works in us and i've talked about this a little bit in the book it it works in us in in forms that are that are uh associated with different goddesses so um you know for example when you're when you're having a, an experience of up of upheaval and radical transformation which often happens at certain stages of kundalini awakening it's it's said that the kali aspect of the shakti is working inwardly in your system uh and when you have these you know great expansive heart opening um sweet periods in your practice when you know it feels as though the, you know the boons of the universe are being showered on you and all everything you ever wanted is coming to you these are said to be expressions of the lakshmi energy um acting in you through kundalini and uh and you know it's it's a there's so the the goddesses are very very much associated with psychophysical processes in our spiritual unfoldment um that as you get to know them you can start to track them in your practice and it helps you to recognize that you're not the only, you know that your your spiritual unfoldment is not happening uh 
it's you know it's not under your control it's actually the enfoldment of of powers that want to awaken as you um that have their own timing and their own intelligence and that you can trust beautiful i'm talking with sally kempton and she has written a incredibly helpful guidebook to the transformative power of the goddesses of yoga, a book called Awakening Shakti. And 11 different goddesses are introduced very thoroughly. They're stories, myths, beautiful images that have been hand-drawn by a gentleman named Ekabumi. And maybe, Sally, you can just tell us briefly about the images that are contained in the book. Well, the, you know, in, in goddess practice, one of the one of the um, one of the ways you familiarize yourself with deity is to look at an image, and there, you know, for centuries there there's there's a tradition of uh, creating images for meditation, and that you know that the there is a a very specific series of. Um, of icons and images and clothes that 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 when they're brought together by an artist who's in touch with the the deity energy can actually help you recognize and and come close to the deity energy and there's a there's a traditional way of of you know of um studying and expressing sacred art that has been handed down for you know through, from teachers to students for many generations, and they're different in different parts of India. But the artist Ekabumi, who did the sketches, who did the very beautiful line drawings in this book, um, has has been you know has studied with masters of the tradition and and works in the traditional way where uh, you know he meditates on the deity and then draws it from a state of inspiration. So uh, it's it's an it's a way it's one of the uh, along with the mantras and the stories the the illustrations really help you tune into the deity. So it's they're you know they're great meditative uh, they're great great aids to meditation they're also very beautiful. Awakening Shakti: The Transformative Power of the Goddesses of Yoga, a new book by Sally Kempton. Sally has also created an accompanying audio program called Shakti Meditations, which are guided practices to invoke some of the main goddesses that are profiled in the book. Sally has also published with Sounds True one of my favorite books on meditation. It's called Meditation for the Love of It, Enjoying Your Own Deepest Experience, and an audio program that helps people start a meditation practice called Beginning Meditation. Sally, as always, wonderful to talk with you, and congratulations on the publication of this book. I think it oh, is. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Kevin. I mean, it is a beautiful, helpful tool for people. I think it's really going to make these goddesses accessible. That's a great gift. Well, it's it's um, it's been a joy, and of course, working with you is always um, illuminative, fun, um, and uh, you know something I'm very grateful for. So. It's been a pleasure all around. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.